Welcome to the latest Hotel Analyst podcast, where for the next 20 minutes or so, we'll be rounding up what we feel is important that you should know about in and around the hotel investment space. My name is Chris Bowne, the editor at Hotel Analyst, and I'm joined by Andrew Sankster, the editorial director of Hotel Analyst, as we plunge into second quarter results season in the hotel sector. And uh, we're going to start by discussing uh, a couple of those sets of results from a couple of big guns, Hilton and Accor, um, where both have declared themselves to have had a very good second quarter and have upgraded their expectations for their their performance for the the full year 2023. Um, And uh, gave us some hints, uh, more from Hilton than from Accor, as to where they are going to look now to, uh, to grow their portfolios more substantially in the coming year two or five so um uh hilton previously uh, launched uh, spark which is one of their new kind of more economy branded hotel chains and they are still working on the as yet unnamed uh, new extended stay brand um no such excitement of of new brand launches from uh, from accor but us uh, but uh, but what, what was interesting was that uh, there were certainly some comments to do with the fact that they looked looking more to their kind of luxury and lifestyle brands to grow particularly in uh, the the middle east and uh, asia pacific over the coming uh, years as the the way to uh, enhance their earnings and um, uh, build up their global presence so um, but all of this uh, off the back of uh, fundamentally some very strong performance absolutely both both were a very compelling set of results um the, the marked contrast uh, I took from them, however, was the share price performance in in the week following. So I've look, just looked, uh, called up how each of the two share prices have done in the last week. Um, we're recording this on uh, uh, Wednesday afternoon, and um, Accor's is down over one percent, and Hilton's up nearly three percent. And it was ever thus, mm. I think, in that Hilton seems to be doing very well and being recognised for that success, and seeing its shares um, uh, perform well. And Accor just seems to be struggling, and it's been the big underperformer, and all the uh, Wall Street and the European. Um, analysts um, rate Accor as a, you know uh, most of them rate it as a potential winner um, they're saying it's a, it should be an outperformer um, but it's just failing to deliver on it um, in terms of that share price performance and it, it's something of a puzzle really because it, you know it does look very good right now Accor um, it seems to have a very smart strategy um, and there is every reason to believe it's well positioned to outgrow its rivals um you know i i really like its strategy with regard to luxury i think this this notion of the brand house that it's evolving with its luxury segment i think is clever rather than just divvying it out on a sort of geographic basis um so i I think that's smart um and i think also it's geographic spread and Accor mentioned this in its presentation um that it is uh has good exposure in china and good exposure in the wider asia pacific region uh, uh, an area which is still to fully come back so it has 
uh, more upside potential than say Hilton where 70% of its rooms are in North America um, and you know you would say North America is largely recovered from from the sort of COVID lockdown performances mm. um, so uh, you know from that point of view it is a bit of a puzzle but I, I suspect it's because shareholders are still just a bit nervous about Accor because um, it has been switching strategies sort of every other year and and it's this sort of you know continuously changing direction which they don't like and by contrast Hilton's just stuck to its knitting and just got on with it and what Hilton's been doing is you know it's not been buying anything it's not had a confused M&A strategy it's just said look we're going to grow our own brands and just keep going um and I, I think it's it's got good exposure in that that middle space and if you look at the chain scale segments in that middle bit so you go from sort of mid scale up to upper upscale that's where the the bulk of the overwhelming bulk of Hilton's portfolio is it has just two percent in economy and just two percent in luxury now i know there's a lot of noise about luxury at the moment but i do think that 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 middle ground is probably where you know if you're a global brand major you're going to make the most progress i think um i think there are opportunities in economy and i do think there are opportunities in luxury but the big bulk of um opportunity still is is, is in that sort of center ground piece um and Accor is kind of like a lopsided barbell with <laughs> you know quite a lot at the economy end um a growing bit you know it, it's one of the strongest now in terms of luxury it's got 10 percent of its rooms in luxury it's a slightly smaller barbell but comparatively little in that in that middle ground bit in terms of where it is in the chain scale segment now we've talked about in the past well i think it's underrating its opportunity in the economy and mid-scale segment i think accor has all to play for there if it can get a um you know a, a good coherent uh, um strategy in place and i think it largely has that and it just needs to get on and do that and i think it will deliver that and i think as we get into this we'll see a sort of a change in perception of accor now how long that's going to take is uh, anybody's guess but um you know uh, there is still a question mark i think in shareholders minds about whether it will deliver on that um, I think it's very likely to there's a lot of people out there right now who think it's guaranteed to and that you know it shares are hugely under uh, underpriced but w w we will see how it goes but uh, um, uh, right now I think it's a space that's going to be watched now we're going to turn our attention to a potentially massive market over the coming years uh, that's the uh, the market of India great big country massive population and um, uh, the predictions are that its economy will will deliver many more um, middle class uh, people with with decent spending power over the coming years. Uh, and attention to hotels, it's still a country where the brands are relatively um, underrepresented. They're kind of all pushing as best they can to get in. Um, but meantime, the uh, the excitement uh, potentially it comes from one of the uh, locals and. Um, the, the news there is that um, ITC, which is a conglomerate that covers all sorts of things from cigarettes to hotels and, and FMCG, um, are finally going to be splitting off their hotel division. They're going to be um, putting it separate, listing it separately on the Indian stock market. And they've announced the a bit more of the detail of how they're going to be doing that in, in recent weeks. Um, and 
uh, the plans well they, they, they drew a little bit of criticism because the the uh, main corporate is planning to keep 40 percent of the stock uh, to itself and just let 60 percent uh, of of the new business uh, be be passed on to existing shareholders but there's a fair few um, nuanced opportunities potentially in the way the, the business is being split off uh, that could lead to some opportunities for those who want to get uh, uh, deeper into the Indian hotel market. Yeah, India is becoming the new China for many global hotel brand companies. Um, and there are good reasons for this. So I think the f top of the list is that it's already the, the world's most populous country. Um, so uh, China's population is actually falling. Um, India's is continuing to grow. The, the UN estimates that India will have 1.67 billion people by 2050, and the Chinese population is going to decrease from uh, current 1.43 billion to 1.31 billion. So I think you know that that's a very positive sign. That demographic piece there is very positive. Um, for India but of course you know it's all very well having lots of people you've got to have lots of people with money um, and again India's on the right course here in that it's uh, its GDP is growing faster now than China's. Um, India's GDP per head is still less than half that of China, something like 40%, uh, but it is growing faster. So the IMF, the International Monetary Fund, estimates India's GDP growth will be above 6% every year until 27. That's as far as they get with their forecasts. Um, China, by contrast, um, have, having enjoyed sort of double digit growth the last few decades it's going to have growth below five percent every year until 2027 so there's quite a quite a change there and some commentators are getting um, even gloomier than that um, about China's outlook given that it's got big challenges with its property market and the demographics we've just mentioned now so how how big is the potential in terms of the Indian um, travel and tourism market? Well, a slightly old old report now, but one that uh, still has validity. Um, World Economic Forum and Bain and Co. Um, a few years back, that they said there was around 140 million households in India that are now what they describe as middle class. Now that that bracket is eight and a half thousand US dollars to forty thousand US dollars. Now I think while they can be you know you know potential for domestic um, hotel uh, accommodation, they're very unlikely. I would suggest to be big consumers of international travel um, if they're below that US forty thousand dollar income bracket um, uh, per household. Um, the international outbound piece there's about 20 million right now um, that are in the high income bracket that's above the 40,000 US dollar piece um, this is growing according to that report um, and something like 29 million are going to be there by 2030 so it, it, it's you know it's a sizable potential outbound market there um, and you know a good strong um, domestic market as well and and it's interesting to see I think you report Chris on how uh, IHCL the Taj 
owner is rolling out new brands like ginger mm-hmm. i think um which you know tapping into this sort of new middle class that's uh, emerging in india india's got its share of problems i mean um I, th- I think one of the biggest for hoteliers is infrastructure um one of the things that helped drive china's expansion in hotels was the huge spending that went on on infrastructure roads and rail and airports in particular well we're sort of seeing a few airports built but the roads and rail are um still really uh, uh lacking i think in india so we, we need to see that investment stepped up a bit to to help drive uh, growth there um there's also a sort of geopolitical overhang a little bit with india but nothing like china's so i, th- I think there's this perception that narendra modi's government is be- coming a bit more authoritarian which is going to you know make it occasionally a bit problematic but i don't think we're going to have the kind of uh, um, issues that we've got with china so i think for all of these reasons overall um, india's a good bet I, I i just don't think if you remember a decade or so ago chris um all of the wall street analysts in particular were getting very excited about the china mm. opportunity and we had a sort of bizarre reversal of the usual pattern you know usually the focus on you know what's your next quarter's earnings going to be um the analysts were you know 10 15 years ago asking companies well what's your china strategy and this was at least a five ten year projection ahead and but companies that had a good china strategy were getting uh, more highly rated um i don't think we're going to see that sort of excitement around india but i do think that if you're a global hotel brand major you need to have an india strategy nonetheless and now saying what we've all just we've just all said about china um uh, has nevertheless the uh, the market there has nevertheless seen a very uh, sharp snap back um, once the country's authorities have finally been able to put uh, COVID and COVID restrictions behind them, and uh, nowhere uh, can that be more uh, keenly spotted than in the last results from H World or Huazu as they used to be called, um, famously uh, always a China lodging oh, of course, before that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they made the rebranding people rich, if nothing else. Um, so, yes. uh, you know, famously a a company that expands at a substantial lick within China, um, very much focused on the kind of budget end of the market. Um, but uh, they now reckon that um, uh, trading in, in June was 123% up ahead of 2019 figures. Um, and... Um, their uh, what what used to be always previously you know occupancies in the kind of medium to high 80s percent are now getting back towards those levels um but in, in common with pretty much everywhere in the rest of the world they've been able to build back off uh, far stronger room rates so um h world are doing very well in china and of course their uh, their their european play which uh, of course they bought deutsche hospitality with a uh, very unfortunate timing just as we went into the beginning of the pandemic um, is is now finally started to deliver them some uh, some profits as well. Um, also very excited about China um, was uh, Wyndham and Jeff Bellotti, uh, their CEO, uh, was speaking when he delivered the second quarter results, um, and uh, he he declared that um, you know Wyndham is very keen on China and is pushing to grow far faster and harder there. So uh, they they also like that kind of lower end. Uh, of the market and uh, can see things looking pretty positive despite all we just said about uh, China longer term. 
Mm, mm. It's all yeah, relative, absolutely. right? So, I mean, and, and you know, and the fact of the matter is that it, things would have to take a, a very sharp and severe turn for the worst, um, um, which would bring the whole global economy grinding to a halt um, if we weren't able to have um, international groups operating hotels in China, I think. Um, so we'd be worrying about a bit more than just what's going on in the hotel market mm. if, if it did get, um, that if relations broke down that bad with China um, uh, what's interesting I think we, we, we looked at both Wyndham and China um, China, China um, we, we looked at H12 yeah, we, <laughs> <laughs> we, we looked at both um, uh, Wyndham and um, H-World um, to, um, in the same story here and and there are quite interesting parallels you know both sort of move have with that franchise um, model um, both have quite a big turnover in terms of their you know they, they lose nearly as many hotels um, out the door as they have coming in the front door so in H-World's case they added 374 hotels during Q2 an impressive number but they lost 216 so you know there's quite a um, so yeah there is a big churn I mean in the case of uh, Wyndham um, it's adding it expects to add sort of between uh, so it's net unit growth it's um, rather it's um, gross unit growth (laughs) GUG is expected to be seven percent to nine percent but because of the the retention rate which is just over 95 percent um the nug the net unit growth is going to be between two percent and four percent so there is you know that this sort of the outflow really matters here and of course this is something which we've seen um, ihg suffer from for a long while with particularly its holiday in as it try to to bring that brand up to spec and it pushed hard on that and it was kicking out as many it was as it was adding um and that held back its growth rates actually there um and it um that's not the case in terms of Wyndham's overall growth rates but it's certainly not sort of you know you look at somebody like Hilton and they're looking at a net of five percent or so and you know um if we look at someone like Hyatt that's even higher um but certainly it, it is at least moving forward in the case of Wyndham. Um, the other thing I think is uh, worth worthy of note is uh, Wyndham's switcheroo in terms of his strategy. Um, this is generally across the piece, but notably in China, where it start, entered the market back in 2004 um, with a master franchise deal and the Super 8 brand went in there and Wyndham lays claim to being the biggest international operator in terms of properties in China. But uh, um, it, it's now switched into direct franchising rather than master franchising. Um, it says it gets it's three times the fee income from a direct franchise relationship rather than one that's done through a, another party in that sort of master franchise setup. So I think that's a big thing and it's, it's pushing quite hard on that um, direct franchising piece. It opened 40 hotels in the quarter, um, a 13% net room growth year on year um, for its directly franchised hotels in China. So it's a big 
big push um, interestingly uh, rev par at the Wyndham properties in China were 99% of 2019 levels where at H world they were 121% so obviously H world has been driving things a bit harder there um, but we'll see how how this all plays out one intriguing development I think just to conclude um, my comments on this is you know just how important this uh, Chinese tourism market is becoming um, and the World Travel and Tourism Council, this is something I dug out, was from a release back in February. Um, back, and they forecast that Beijing is to become the world's largest travel and tourism city destination within the next decade, overtaking Paris. So it's quite clear that even if we've got a slightly more subdued growth in China, it, it's still going to be a very important market. Right now we're heading over to our five star and no star awards of the week and uh, we're giving five stars this week to uh, Ennismore, um, Aqua's uh, luxury lifestyle uh, division um, because they've launched uh, something that's not a loyalty program. It's They've had the, 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 the spirit to call it disloyalty. It's actually a membership program um, and so if you if you buy your subscription then you get guaranteed some discounts off uh, stays and uh, and food and drink at uh, any small properties. Um, and very interestingly, they're they're giving a, a bigger discount if you go and stay at one of their newer opened hotels in the first three months after opening. So quite a clever ploy there to get people to try and test out new hotels. Um, so uh, yeah. yes. It's a smart contrarian take on the whole loyalty yeah. thing, I think. So it's uh, it's clever. It's clever. I mean, I was half tempted to to uh, give five stars for um, that. We do seem to be um, um, looking as though we're approaching the peak in interest rate rises. Um, <laughs> but uh, I fear that we're recording this on the eve of tomorrow on Thursday. The Bank of England's going to announce its rate rise. Now I think we're going to get at least twenty-five basis points. But were it to be a fifty basis point, <laughs> that would be rather a shocker and would rather um, destroy hope of it of of a peak being reached. But uh, I, I think there are least tentative signs um, now that peaks are being reached both uh, I mean, people are talking about the Federal Reserve um, in the US having made its last hike um, I think we've got one or two more in the pipe from the Bank of England but probably topping out at or before six percent in the uk and you know uh, i think um in the eurozone as well the ecb maybe maybe um be, be approaching a pause on its own rate tightening cycle so that's all good news but i think it's too, too you know too uncertain right now to actually call it so uh we'll we'll stick mm, with your choice okay. there chris on the five right. on the five star and those stars are going too well um, agents twiddling their thumbs. Well, Investment agents twiddling their thumbs. Yeah, well, it, it's re <laughs> yes. It, well, it, it's related to this whole interest rate piece, really, which is the um, that we all we all know it. We've all heard it in the market, but the actual numbers are coming through about just how bad the slowdown has been in terms of uh, um, deal flow. Um, so, I mean, uh, I think Savills uh, in the past week or so have said, well, earlier this month actually. Um, said hotel transaction activity fell 60% in the, the first half of uh, this year um, and I think Colliers have just come out 
um, looking at uh, that was UK hotel transaction activity and Colliers have come out looking at the wider commercial real estate market um, across EMEA and said that that is also down 60%. Um, it just shows you the, the impact that this uncertainty around debt pricing um, has created. We're off for a little bit of a break so we'll hope we'll have some brighter news on interest rates and deal volumes when we return. But meantime, we'll say goodbye for now. <laughs> 